Community.com. Morning, everyone. Hey, uh, it's nice to be back in our normal positions <laughs> up here on Sunday morning. Just glad uh, that you're with us this morning. So we're gonna we're gonna we're starting this epic journey, <laughs> this journey of epic proportions here at Portico. Like it's a it's a challenge. I think unlike any other that we've really tackled. Um, I was trying to think of comparables. It would be a feat comparable to like Frodo and Sam taking the ring to. Mordor, is that the right place? Uh, or like Neo and Trinity conquering the internet. Or uh, like the U.S. men's soccer team winning a World Cup. <laughs> or like the Vikings winning a Super Bowl. Um, you know, so, uh, although that might actually be impossible, so probably not that level. But of course the monumental task we're talking about here is we're studying the entire book of Romans. Um, and I think this is going to be challenging on a number of different levels. First of all, uh, the text itself is going to be challenging. Right? Like it's, a, it's a really intricate book. It's very detailed. It's theologically complex. Um, you know, our Christmas series, um, you know, I left these decorations up on purpose for this week. Maybe. Or maybe not. Uh, <laughs> but our Christmas series had words like hope. And peace and love and joy, and we talked about those things. Uh, this book has words like justification, sanctification, salvation, and propitiation. Right? So the text itself is going to be challenging. The topics it brings up are going to be challenging. Like it addresses some heavy philosophical and theological issues. Some of them are going to make us a little uncomfortable at times. The length of the book. That's going to be challenging. It's the longest book we've really taken on, besides doing some messages out of Psalms. But um, there's 16 chapters in Romans, and if we did one chapter each week, that would be a four-month series. But in my opinion, each chapter, it takes more time than that if we're really going to understand it. You know, one, one uh, podcast that I listen to uh, and really enjoy uh, taught through this book in 23 weeks, and I thought, oh, that's pretty good. That's not too bad. But each of the messages were like an hour long, <laughs> which, you know, if we translate that into what we do here on Sunday, that's, that's, a, that's a year. That's going to take us a year. Another well-known pastor, uh, he took eight years to work through the book of Romans, verse by verse, right? Now, they did take some breaks, uh, but eight years. You know, that's a, that's a lot. And, and uh, toward the end, he was like, um, okay, we have three verses left, and I'm fairly confident we can finish them in four weeks. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going to probably go at that pace. <laughs> but, um, but many of the chapters just need to be broken down. Uh, and uh, so we're going to be in this for some time. Um, working through a lengthy book like this, um, verse by vo- verse or section by section, it can always feel a little tedious. Once we, once we like, get rolling, um, I always feel excited when we start a new series, uh, like all, all excited, and then like a few weeks in, I'm like, oh, are we there yet? <laughs> you know, it's the way it goes. So I, I don't know exactly how long this series will take. It's not going to take eight years, I'll tell you that. Uh, probably not a whole year either, um, I don't think, but we might end up taking some breaks around Easter or summer or whatever. Uh, I'm not really sure. But we just want to dive in and then kind of see where this goes. So uh, we'll be in this for a while. Now, 
it's going to be a little bit daunting, but doing a deep study of Romans, we feel like is, uh, well, it, well, first of all, it's not for the faint of heart, really. Um, so, so why are we doing this now for our church and our body right now? Um, well, beyond this, of course, being God's Word, uh, when we look at why it was written and to whom it was written and the questions and challenges that were faced in those days, I think we're going to see some parallels to our own lives and our circumstances. Uh, as well, there's just so much we can learn from Romans. It's so deeply foundational to a true understanding of, salva- of our salvation. It will kind of reground us in our faith and challenge us whether we're uh, you know, living for the right things in life or not. And um, I think these are just a few of the reasons why it's worth doing this right now. I really believe it'll be worth it in the long run. So with all that, um, we're going to dive into this kind of introduction uh, this morning. And the theme or title of the message today is Building Bridges with Rome. So that's what we're going to see Paul is doing here, building bridges with Rome. So if you've got your Bibles and want to follow along, I'd encourage you to do that in this series or your Bible apps. I've got all my stuff in the notes here. But um, Romans 1, 1 through 15 is specifically the chapter or the section we're going to cover today, but I'm going to also read through 16 and 17. So Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to, Christ, to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to both the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father God, as we uh, dive into your word, this text this morning, we pray that you would uh, just allow us to see it, uh, maybe for the first time or maybe with fresh eyes. Um, whatever is needed for us. We pray that you would be speaking and leading us through this time and uh, that we would uh, just be attentive to what it is you're, you're, you're saying through your Holy Spirit. And it's in uh, your son Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. 
All right, so when Paul writes this letter to Rome, we're going to kind of work through this uh, a little bit. When Paul writes this letter to Rome, he opens with a little bit of self-glossing. <laughs> sort of. Uh, not really. But he does lay his credentials out for them. Right? Romans 1, uh, starting in verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, it might seem like being a little arrogant and, uh, you know, that that's the way he starts out. But um, I think we need to see it differently. He's kind of personally introducing himself to the Christians in Rome, in, in a way. Like, he's doing this for an important reason. He's never been to Rome. He, this is not a church he started and he's writing a letter back to. That was often uh, the case. It's not one he's ever visited either. And from all accounts, this is the first time he's even written to them. So they certainly knew who he was. I mean, he was like the prominent figure in the early church history, or one of them, at, at this point. So they knew who he was, but they didn't know him. And I think that's important to keep in mind. But also, the Roman church, the church in Rome, um, and I should say that, like, I, I realize that sometimes even the images and things we use and that sort of thing, when we say the Roman church, we might think of something institutional and whatever, but... When we say that throughout this series, it's talking about the church in Rome in Paul's day, right? A little bit different imagery. Uh, but the, the church in Rome was started by Jewish Christians who had come to know Jesus uh, because they were in Jerusalem at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts. Right? So shortly after uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And they heard the Gospel message and they believed they received the Holy Spirit and they took that message back to Rome with them. And the good news about Jesus, uh, that they took, their, took root in people. Um, and uh, the church was born. Uh, a church that, uh, by all accounts, was predominantly Gentile, but also with Jewish people as well. And the, uh, it was the only major church in the Roman Empire that was really not founded by what we would consider to be an apostle. Who were considered to be an apostle. And they were, this church was successful and thriving all on their own. So these people to whom he's writing are likely the, the leaders of that church. right? Perhaps even the people who started the church there. Uh, they have been operating on their own for a pretty long time. But something had happened um, before this letter was written that was significant. Uh, in 49 A.D., the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome, and mainly because of their religious beliefs. Not just because they were Christians, but because they were monotheistic, right? They believed in just one God and one true God alone. Well, the Romans were polytheistic, believing there were many different gods, and they didn't want their religious apple cart upset. Idol worship was a big deal, and it was a big business in the Roman Empire. So Jewish beliefs, both the Christians and the non-Christian Jews, they were threatening that. Now, it's questionable whether all of the Jews were actually uh, kicked down and expelled, like they all left, or if it was just kind of this mass exodus uh, that occurred, but it definitely affected the makeup of that church in Rome. And the believers who remained in Rome were mainly Gentile during that time, the non-Jewish people. Uh, and they didn't really live by like Jewish law or Jewish customs in their life. 
they wouldn't have followed many of the Old Testament practices. So when these Jewish Christians and these leaders would have returned and reintegrated after the death of Claudius, which was about five years later, the church was probably in a little bit of a mess, a little bit of chaos. Right? And of course, Paul, he's a minister of the Gospel, an apostle sent out by God to preach the good news about Jesus, not only to the Jews, but the Gentiles also. So he had a, a very good reason to speak into their situation. So he shares um, a few credentials with them. And he says, so again, back to verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when you hear all of these words, these descriptions, these would be, of course, most relevant to the Jewish believers in Rome. Right? It, it, it appealed to things that the Gentiles, they, they may have known about, but it wasn't really their identity. It wasn't their culture. They, maybe, they didn't even care about it that much. Right? But he mentions Jesus as a descendant of David. That would be significant for a Jew who would have been looking for the promised Messiah to come through David's line. And of course, that's who Jesus was. He calls Jesus the Son of God, of whom the prophets foretold. Right? So the, the Gentiles, they wouldn't have the prophets in their history, but the, the Jewish people did. Jesus claimed to be that Messiah, including claims of his own resurrection. And he fulfilled the promises of God through the prophets and was raised to life just as he said it. And all of this was witnessed in Jerusalem, right? In, that, in Israel. So this was a direct appeal to the Jewish believers and leaders, what Paul was writing here. Everything was happening, basically, Paul said. That everything that was happening was happening according to the Scriptures and according to God's plan. And he continues, he writes, concerning the Son of God, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. What starts to happen here after he kind of addresses them, I think, uh, you know, this is a lot of thought all packed into a tight, tight area. And that's pretty common for Paul. But what I think that's cool to see here is he starts to build bridges with the church in Rome. Now, like, like the, first of all, he's, why does he do that? Like, let's just ask that question first, right? Because even though the church in Rome it had these impeccable credentials, they also likely had a chip on their shoulder. Right? Like Paul had this strong reputation. And, and, and yet this great apostle hadn't visited them yet despite their prominence. And that probably gave him a little bit of pause or wonder. And so far he hadn't even written a letter to them either. Even though he had been writing to other churches, they were probably a little bit like, Paul, what's up with that? You know, from some of the things he addresses here, you start to get the sense that they, they may have had a few chips on their shoulder. And so he starts building bridges right from the start. Right away in verse 5, he says, we have grace and apostleship. We have this. Through his visitation by Jesus, 
at his conversion, Paul had a firsthand account of the written Jesus. And he was blinded by him and didn't get to see, see him, but he did uh, have an appearance. Right? He was recognized as one who was sent out and commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus in all these places. And Paul says, you know, like th- they did not have the same kind of authority he did in this church, but in a sense, they too were involved in the same ministry effort that he was. And so he says, we have grace, we have apostleship, right? Building that bridge. In verse 6 and 7, he says, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, right? He considers them to be much like himself, called in this. And again, Paul is building bridges. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, our culture, our climate, religious culture and climate, a saint here is not referring to some special person with unique status like other church practices seem to have designated people to be. A saint is any person and all people who have come to be born again through faith in Jesus. Those who are different, sacred, and set apart as holy. That's what it's referring to. All those who are believers are saints. It's you and it's me. Right? If you belong to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. That's what he refers to and Scripture refers to by that. So he, he calls them into that or reminds them of that and he greets them in a fairly similar way to how he greets all the churches in his letters. Grace to you and peace from our God Uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So verse 8, keeping going. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now again, this is a notable church. Right? And even though Paul may be the most significant contributor to the spread of the gospel in the world, he gives them their props here. Right? He mentions how their faith is known all over the world. Again, keep building that bridge, right? Keep building that bridge. But then he starts to knock a few of those chips off their shoulders. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Really, maybe they didn't believe it, but Paul deeply cared for them. He says, God will be his witness for how He prays for them constantly. Verse 10, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So not only has he been praying for them, but he has been praying that God might allow him to visit them. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Like Paul recognizes that they're on the same team. Right? They're on the same team, and there would be a huge benefit for both parties if he could come to them. They have much to offer each other. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks, meaning the educated and civilized ones, at least that's how it was thought of in the world, 
and to barbarians, right, the people with less culture and knowledge, both to the wise, those who are learned, and to the foolish, the uneducated or the ignorant. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. These church leaders probably had a lot of thoughts about why Paul hadn't come to see them or address them. Maybe he only cared about the churches he started. Maybe he feared his preaching wasn't going to withstand these very learned Jewish leaders. You know, I mean, reaching out to those uneducated people, those Gentiles, that was one thing. They were ignorant of such things like the law and the prophets, but these leaders were not like those people. <laughs> they were learned. They were educated. They may even thought of themselves as equals with Paul. Or certainly they saw themselves in the same ballpark. Perhaps they thought Paul didn't think his preaching would hold up to their scrutiny. And he was avoiding them. Maybe Paul was afraid to come to Rome with his message, being that there had been opposition and severe persecution there before. Right? The Jewish people had already been kicked out. <laughs> they were just making their way back. Anyway, whatever the reason for the chips on their shoulders, from what we read in Paul's letter, he seems to know they felt a little slighted and a bit put off by him. So if they thought he had some uh, fear of coming to them as leaders or to the church itself, or even to face potential persecution that could present itself in Rome, Paul says, no, that's not it at all. He wanted to come to them badly but he had been prevented from doing so. By whom? By the Lord. Now, he would explain that later on in uh, Romans, and we'll get to that at some point. Um, but uh, he badly wanted to come to them, and he shows them that. And then he comes to the main thought for this entire letter, right? His, kind of his thesis statement. And this is verse 16 and verse 17. And he says this, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, that's going to be what we're talking about next week. It's his main thought for, the, for pretty much the whole book. I mean, it's, it's everything is foundational from there. But I'll just say this for today. The church leaders at Rome, they may have been skeptical about him. They may have doubted his motives. But Paul says, look, I'm not afraid or ashamed to share this gospel with anyone. I'll gladly go wherever I can make Jesus known. And if you could sum up the situation, it might be something like this. Paul had a, clearly a unique challenge here. He didn't know the Romans personally. He had never been there. He had not been in correspondence with them to this point. As an apostle, he's speaking to possibly a reluctant, skeptical church leaders in a thriving, yet somewhat messy and divided church. But he was a significant authority in the church, and so he had to wrestle with how was he going to help lead the church in Rome towards God's design to repair the relationship between the Jewish and Gentile believers that was a little bit fractured there, and establish a better relationship between himself and them, despite these apprehensions towards him. 
right? So he's got a lot to deal with. He needed to speak into their situation, yet also we'll find out that he would be appealing to them to make a financial contribution to his ministry as well. Right? So this is a bit tricky. <laughs> this is a bit tricky. And how is he going to accomplish all that? Well, what he would do is he would write them a religious masterpiece. He would write them a masterpiece. A letter that would be unrivaled theologically by anything else ever written. And in doing so, he would give them this incredible gift. right A theological and evangelistic tool that the leaders would be able to pour over and chew on and wrestle with and I mean, as well-educated religious leaders, I can only imagine they were going to love this stuff, right? This was, this was going to be like, whoa, pretty intense. They would love it. So here's kind of the key idea for today. In this letter to the Romans, Paul gives them his masterpiece, his very best work. This letter was going to challenge their entire community deeply. It was going to push them further along in faith and in love, and in their knowledge for Jesus. And look, that's not just true of the church in Rome at that time. These teachings, of course, we understand, are now part of God's Word. This was God's Word being written to us. It's going to push all of the churches and every individual throughout history, all those who truly follow Jesus in the very same way. A masterpiece. That's what Paul gave the world. It's what he gave Rome but it's what he gave the world. God used him to deliver that. Now the question for today and the challenge is, how about you and I? Right? The question is, what are we offering to others around us in the way of sharing the Gospel? At our Christmas Eve worship gathering, uh, for those that were here, you'll remember this. For those who weren't, just a little recap. Rachel did a fantastic job on the message but one of the illustrations that she used was um, a drawing a picture of uh, the nativity, you know, or at least a sort of nativity scene. And we, we gave out papers to the kids, the little kids and some of the big kids too, and uh, asked, like, okay, draw one that's your very best work. And then draw one that's really messy. And, uh, and her point was really God loves us you know, when we look like a masterpiece, but he also loves us when we're a mess, right? And, and, and that was a great point. I want to twist that a little bit this morning, though. Right? When it comes to sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those around us, we don't want it to be a mess. Right? We want to give them a masterpiece, like Paul. So, the question that we want to consider today is when it comes to sharing Jesus, are you giving people a masterpiece? Or is it more of a mess? Like, is the good news about Jesus a message that you fully believe and live out in your life? Are you living a life and a lifestyle that match the life that Scriptures portray? And I know that's a big, big, broad statement. But God has a calling on our lives to live as people, and, uh, as His people, and to be a light in the world around us. He calls us saints. 
those who are set apart and holy for his purposes. He calls us to be like that. We're called to live with integrity, with character, with godly principles, according to the truth, and yet abounding in love, and to share the gospel with gentleness and respect to those around us. Is that who we are? Is that how we're living? Or is our work of art a bit marred by beliefs and thoughts that don't reflect the truth of his scripture or the way he wants us to be? You know, if we're displaying a life that is inconsistent or apathetic or uninspiring when it comes to the things of God, it's not going to be a pretty picture. It's not going to be a masterpiece of what the gospel is about. Paul gave the world a masterpiece. We're called to do the same. As we work through this book, my hope and prayer is that that will become more and more of a reality in our lives. All right, let's take a moment and close in prayer this morning. Father God, we do want to thank you for your word, the incredible depth of your word, just the truth of what you have to give us. And we ask that um, we would be people who are striving to live out the masterpiece that, that look like what you want us to look like, that are beautiful, that are captivating, that people are seeing you in us. And God, as we do that, we pray that you would uh, just allow uh, there to be impact. And so we, uh, as we ask this question, as we bring this question before ourselves, we pray that you would allow us to move more into that place of being a masterpiece than the mess that we often are. And as we work through this book and through this series, we pray that you would Lead us in that direction, and we lift this before you in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of the Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.